All right, if you have your Bible with you, open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We have a few verses at the end of chapter 3 that we have not finished, so we're going to cover those this morning. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 16 this morning. Follow along with me in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. We come to this small but very important part of scripture. This is in this area, the Apostle Paul's telling us why he's writing this letter to Timothy. We've referred to it previously, but now we've come across and want to study it just a little more, in a little more depth and a little more detail. He starts out by saying, these things that I write to you. Well, what things? He's talking about the things that he's already written, the things that we've already studied to this point in chapter 3. But he's also talking about the things he's getting ready to write to them. So the letter as a whole, Paul's saying, this is why I'm writing to you. There's a reason. And he says something interesting. He said, I'd rather be there in person with you, Timothy. I'd rather be there if I could, but I'm not sure if I'm going to make it there. Remember, Paul was led by the Holy Spirit. And he wasn't always sure where, where things were going to go or how, where he was going to end up or, or what was going to happen to him. And certainly a big part of his life was, left, was led in uncertainty through imprisonment and many trials and many tribulations. So he tells Timothy, remember he left Timothy in charge of the church there at Ephesus. He left him there and he's saying, listen, I've got some guidance I want to give you. I've got some direction I want to give you. I want to show you some things. And he's told, and, we, and we've seen a few things so far. Paul said, Timothy... I want you to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Don't let them teach any other doctrine, Timothy, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification. We saw that in chapter 1. Paul was charging Timothy with that. And he also said, Timothy, I want you to wage the good warfare, having, a, having faith and a good conscience, which some have suffered shipwreck. So he told Timothy earlier in chapter 1, listen, Timothy, not everybody's made it. You have to fight the good fight. You have to wage the good warfare because if you don't, there are those out there that will suffer shipwreck. And he went on to name them. And he went on to Timothy and he said, Timothy, I want you to pray for all men. I want the men to lead the prayer in the church. I want the men to stand up and raise up holy hands. I want the men to be the one leading. He said, do this, Timothy. He said, Timothy, when it comes to the women, have them dress modestly. Have them dress appropriately for the house of God. I don't permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. And we talked about that in detail when we covered it in, er, previously. He says, Timothy, here are the qualifications for a, for a bishop. And we talked about how that was an elder and a pastor. Here's the qualifications that somebody that wants to be a leader in the church must meet. And here's the qualifications for a deacon. Somebody that wants to serve in the church. Well, well, can't I just serve if I just, what if I just want to help out? No, there's certain qualifications that somebody has to meet. There's certain things that have to, be, have to be done, certain things that have to be met. But I want you to notice why the Apostle Paul is writing. He says, I write, I write so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. Now, in our mindset, we think house of God, church building, right? And now what you think, that's not what he's talking about. The house of God is the household of God, the family of God. They didn't have church buildings back then. 
They were still living in house to house underneath the Roman persecution. There was no building. He's not speaking of, of, you know, when you come into church, this is how I want you to conduct yourself. He's saying in, in the household of God, within the family of God, and that's what household means. It means family. That's, this is how I want you want to conduct you. So he says to, he, so Paul's telling Timothy, listen, in the household of God, in the family of God, all of the things that I'm telling you are really important for conducting yourself that way. And Paul sees Timothy as a leader in the church, and I like the fact that he wants to give him this practical information. He doesn't say, Timothy, just go do it. He's giving him an outline. He's, he's highlighting the important things. But notice what else he says about the house of God. He says, I want you to know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, but he describes it here. He says, it's the church of the living God. It's the church of the living God. The word for church in that, in, in that context just means a group of people meeting together for a common reason. You see, we think church, church is, is church. It's a place we go. It's a building. It's a, but it could, a church could, the word could mean anything. Any group of people meeting together for any common reason. In that day, what Paul's referring to is the Christians that are meeting together in the homes. The church, the group of people, they're, they're the house of God. They're a family of God. And notice what he says something. He says the living God. He wants us to know that God is alive. Why is that important? Because they were, they were worshiping all kinds of false gods. They were worshiped between Greek mythology here that was taking place, between the Roman gods. They were worshiping all kinds of things. And Paul says, no, no. In the house of God, in the household of God, I want you to understand that God is alive. I, he's alive. Remember, he also says here, and I like this part, he says the church is the pillar and ground of truth, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. When you think of pillar, what do you think of? You think of column, right? What's a pillar for? It holds something up. You would never put a column in place and not put anything over top of it. Well, when you see the word ground, what do you think of? You think of ground like grass, like, but think of foundation because that's what it means. It means there, there's a foundation. There's no doubt in my mind that as Paul is writing this, he's thinking of the Roman and the Greek architecture. One of the things that was amazing when we were in Israel was the architecture the Romans left behind. The pillars, the columns. When you go underneath the Temple Mount, the foundation, the arches that are built to support all that stuff. There's a foundation stone underneath the Temple Mount. It's 45 feet long. Okay, Just to give you how uh, this building is 50 feet wide. All the way to the other wall. It's 45 feet long, it's 10 feet tall, and it's about 10 feet thick. It's the largest, if it's, it's one of, if not the largest item that has ever been play, put in place by mankind without a machine. They don't even know how they did it. They quarried it several miles away, brought it there to build the temple mount on top of it. So when Paul says foundation, when he says pillar, he's saying it this way. Think if you can say it this way. It's the pillar, the church, the family of God, okay? We are the pillar. We're holding up something. We are the foundation. We are supporting something. What are we supporting? The truth. We're supporting the truth. Look what it says. Let me read it to you again. That you may know you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. The pillar and the foundation of the truth. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, you've got to understand the church. And I'm not talking about a building and I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about believers. Followers of Jesus Christ have been charged to be the foundation and the pillar that is holding up 
the truth of God. You see, sometimes we miss that in our culture. Sometimes we'll hold up all kinds of things. Sometimes we'll, you know, we can hold up our ministries, we can hold up our buildings, and we can have different funds to accomplish different things. And we've, we realize that the, the purpose of the church is not to have a building. The purpose of the church is not even to have a ministry. The purpose of the church is to hold up the truth of God, to hold up the truth. The founda- we're the pillar. And I can just imagine the Apostle Paul, as he's saying this, as he's penning this, he's thinking Roman architecture. Roman building, Roman arches, Roman columns. Some of them are huge when you look at them. Made out of granite, made out of marble, made out of stone. Hand carved, handcrafted, holding up these huge roofs. It's amazing when you think of it. And I think he was thinking the same thing. And then look what he says in verse 16. And without controversy, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. This is the truth that we're supposed to be holding up. This is the truth. As a church, as a group of people, and again, when I say church, I'm referring to the body of Christ. This is the truth that we're supposed to be holding up. Without controversy. It means it's not to be disputed. It means it's supposed to be, most certainly, it's undeniable. It's supposed to be clear. This great mystery, great, the word is mega. This huge mystery. And remember, when you come across the word mystery in the scripture, right? When you think of mystery, what do you think of? It's, an, it's unknown. It's a mystery. That's, in, the, in, the, in our English language, we would say, oh, it's a mystery, which means I don't have any idea who did it. I don't have any idea what happened. I don't know anything. That's not the biblical Greek word for mystery. The Greek word for mystery there is a hidden truth that was once unknown that has now become known. So when Paul's saying this mega, this huge truth about godliness, it was once unknown, it has now been made known in Jesus Christ. So what was once completely unknown has now been made known to the believers of Jesus Christ. He says it's without controversy. It's great. It's a mystery. Now Charles Spurgeon had this to say. He said this, when he says without controversy, I suppose he means that there ought to be no controversy about these facts, though controversies have arisen concerning them and always will, since the most self-evident truth will always find self-evident fools to contradict it. Isn't that truth? The most obvious truth, the most, the, the most simple, basic thing is true. You'll always find somebody that wants to contradict it. No, that's not right. And he calls them self-evident fools. Well, what are these basic truths that he wants us to hold up? What are these basic pillars that we're supposed, what is it that we're supposed to be holding? Look at the first one. God was manifested in the flesh. God was manifested. God was made known in the flesh. Simply put, when Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, God became a man. Emmanuel with us. Sometimes people will say, well, Jesus wasn't really God. Well, how do you explain that verse? It says God was manifested. The word manifested means to be made known. God was made known in the flesh. John put it this way in John 1.14. He said the word, which is Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So what he's saying is God, when Jesus walked on the earth, he was fully God in the flesh. 
He's revealing who God is. That's a basic staple of Christianity that as a church we're supposed to be holding up. It's the incarnation of Christ. It's that God became flesh. Hold this up. Prop this up. Stand on this truth. It's, what, did, what did the Apostle Paul say? It's without controversy. There shouldn't even be a discussion there among believers. And then look what he says. He says, justified in the spirit. Justified in the spirit. Not that he was a sinner and made righteous, because that's not the case. That's not what he's referring to. But in the sense that he was declared to be righteous by the Holy Spirit. When it says justified in the Holy Spirit, it means that the Holy Spirit declared Jesus to be righteous. Well, when did he do that, Rob? We did it at his baptism, certainly. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It also happened at his resurrection. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, that the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit. By the Spirit. So what we have here, what's unfolding, are these basic truths, these pillars, if you want, of the Christian faith. That he was, God was manifested in the flesh, that he was justified in the spirit. And then look what the next one is. This is one we don't think of much. Seen by angels. Seen by angels. Do you know that there's an angelic realm out there? Do you know that it's, it's I think, it's mind-boggling to the angels what's going on. And let me tell you why. Jesus' ministry to us and the church is of great interest to the angels. Why would that be so? Because we're showing them a side of God they have never seen before, that we know of. They've never seen mercy. What happened when Satan wanted to be like God? Lucifer, he was cast out of heaven. They've never seen forgiveness. They've never seen that kind of love before. They've never seen God become flesh and walk among a group of people that we know of, certainly. They've never seen that before. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says this. The manifold... The manifold witness, and that word for manifold, it means multifaceted. It means many sides. It's many characteristics. It's the manifold witness of God. The manifold witness of God might be made known. Okay, so just follow with me here. The the many sides of God might be made known by the church. Who's the church? Us. We're the believers, right? So the different sides of God, the different characteristics of God might be made known by the church to who? To the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose, it's been always been God's plan. We're not working on plan B here. Which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So we, as a church, as believers, are ministering to the angels in a sense. Because they, are, they get to see God's forgiveness, they get to see God's mercy, they get to see God's love towards us, and they get to see God's grace. And that's interesting to them. Because there's been no, no, no idea they've seen that before. Again, Charles Spurgeon put it this way, he said, The Godhead was seen in Christ by angels. As they had never seen it before. They had beheld the attribute of justice. They had seen the attribute of power. They had marked the attribute of wisdom. And they had seen the prerogative of sovereignty. But never had angels seen love, the tenderness and the pity in God as they saw these things in the person and the life of Jesus Christ. Never had they seen this before. It's all new to them. You don't think of your life as being a testimony to the angels, do you? We don't think about that. But Paul, as he writes this to Timothy, he says, listen, don't forget, 
This is a principle. You say, Rob, I don't know if I agree with that. He just told you it's not supposed to be argued over. It's clear. This is a basic foundation of faith seen by the angels preached among the Gentiles is the next one. Isn't that what Paul was doing? What was, he, what was Timothy doing there? He was preaching to the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. This gospel has been preached among the Gentiles. It wasn't just for the Jews. It was to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And then it says it was believed on in the world. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this includes you. After the death of Christ, many people believed. We saw that even with the Roman centurion in the book of Matthew. Remember what he said? Truly, this was the Son of God. Let me read it to you in context. Matthew 27, 54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. You're sitting here because he was believed on in the world. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're sitting here because the apostles who believed on him were filled with the Holy Spirit and they took the gospel out. And it's still being, whether it be in the, in the jungle of Brazil, jungle of the Amazon, whether it be here in our streets of Cumberland, wherever it be going, we're believing and we're taking out the gospel just like they were doing then. It's still going out. It's still going forth. These are basic pillars. God was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. And lastly, he was received up in glory. You see, that's a basic Christian faith. What happened to Jesus after he died? He rose again. What happened to the ascension? He went up into glory to do what? To be seated at the right hand of the Father. He's waiting for the day that he's going to come back for his church. And he's waiting for the day where he will then come to earth and rule, again, rule and reign again for the millennial reign. He was received up in glory. Jesus ascended into heaven in a resurrected body. Don't forget, that body still retained the marks of his great work of love for us. The holes in his hands, the hole in his feet, the, the hole in his side where his side was pierced, all remind of the suffering on whose behalf? On my behalf, on your behalf. He suffered on our behalf. And those marks, do you, can you imagine what it's going to be like to stand before him someday? I mean, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I see. And, and can you imagine as you get to heaven and you stand before Jesus face to face and you look down at his hands? And you see the marks. And you look at his side and you see the, the hole in his side and his foot. And you see the marks. And you just remind, wow, wow, it cost him something so that I could be saved. It cost him something so that I could overcome sin. It cost him something so that I could live in a, an abundant life in Jesus Christ spiritually right now. It wasn't free. It cost him something. As we close out chapter 3, Paul has made his purpose very clear to Timothy for writing this section. Paul wanted to come in person, but he knew he wouldn't be able to, and he wanted to make sure Timothy had the right information, the right guidance that he needed. Paul wanted Timothy to know how to conduct himself in the house of God, the family of God. And think about that, because there's a family of God. It's not just our church. It's not just us. It's the family of God. It's, it's all believers. And Paul wanted Timothy to know the responsibility of that family of God. What was, what was required of the house of God? What was required of that household of God? And he wanted to know that church was living that he's, God is alive. And he also wanted to know that as a church, we have the responsibility. We are the pillar and the foundation 
of these certain truths that he's given to us. We are the pillar, we are the foundation, we are holding up, we are propping up these things. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Is someone a Christian only if they hold these truths up? If you waver on one of these truths, if you go, well, I don't know about the God was manifested in the flesh thing, I just think Jesus was a prophet. I'm sorry, you're not, you're not part of the church holding up the truth. That's what God says. You have to hold up the truths that we don't get to pick and choose what we want to believe. And just because I believe something doesn't make it true, does it? Because I can believe anything. I might think it's true. I might believe it's true, but it doesn't necessarily make it true. We don't get that luxury of picking and choosing what we want to believe. If I want to be a Christian, and if you say you're a Christian, you have to look down this list and go, I subscribe and I will hold up, I will prop up, I will be the foundation for every one of those things. If you waver on one, you're not following Christ completely. You can't go, well, well let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, I got four out of six. It doesn't work that way. You see, because the body of Christ is simple. You're either in it or you're not in it. You can't believe half of it. I'm either part of it, I'm either following Christ or I'm not. So when it comes to sometimes arguments or discrepancies or or disagreements with our friends about things, ask yourself, am I holding up what I'm supposed to be holding up? Am I holding up these truths? Is my life built on these truths? Do you really believe that God came to earth in the flesh? Do you really believe that the Holy Spirit testified of who he was? That he was seen by the angels? That they're amazed at what's taking place? He's been preached among the... Isn't that what's happening? We're preaching among the Gentiles right now. That he was believed on in the world, received up in glory. What a beautiful picture of what the gospel message is. What a beautiful picture of that. You know, oftentimes people want to hear what's in it for me. What's, well, all right, I believe the gospel. What do I get? Well, I don't have, I don't have to go to hell now. And, you know, I, I watch the guy on TV and he says I'm going to be rich if I just send him 20 more dollars. And, you know, I watch this. And it's, it's not about what it is, what's in it for us. It's about what's in it for him. You know, we don't exist on this earth for our good pleasure. He died to purchase us so that he could then use us in some other area, some other way. I love to hear stories of Brad and his family. Going through life, there's got to be more. God's got to use me for more. And now he's living in the Amazon jungle. How cool is that? He needs help, by the way. Anybody want to go down and help him? Yeah, me. I have to be willing to take the small steps for God first. I have to be willing to do the thing right here locally. You know, I, if I can't minister the gospel here with my family, with my friends, you're no good down there. They're not, they don't even understand you down there. You have to be able to serve God a little, little bit at a time. So I want to close with this thought. Just remember, as this little section, these three verses here seem so little, they're also very powerful for Timothy. Because Paul is telling Timothy why this is all taking place. Timothy, this is why I'm writing to you. I'm going to give you some instruction on how to protect the house of God, the people of God. I've given you some instruction on not raising people up too quickly, certain requirements of leaders. I've given you all this instruction on how important it is. But most importantly, Timothy, remember... As a Christian, as being part of the family of God, there are certain truths that we are holding up, that we are lifting up, that we become, our lives are the foundation for. We are supposed to display these truths to the rest of the world. We're holding them up. And I have no doubt in my mind, as Paul penned the word pillar, and he thought of the word foundation, Roman architecture, Greek architecture, of these massive structures that were built 
all relatively new in that first century time period. I have no idea that's what he was, I have no, no, I'm sure that's what he was considering as he looked at those things. So the question is for you this morning, do you subscribe to those, those beliefs? If you don't, if you look at that and go, well, I don't know about all that, that's not me, then I'm sorry, but I don't think that you're a Christian. Because that's what the Bible calls a Christian, that's what the Bible says. But if you say, no, those are me, those are those things, then, I, then yes, I would say that you're a Christian. I'm holding these things up, I'm doing these things.